Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 29th day of April, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Allen. Once again, it's been quite a week. Insanity obviously trumps truth. That means we need to start with this one right up front. And you know it was coming, didn't you? Zero Hedges coverage says that Tucker Carlson, the highest rated cable news host in history, is out at Faux News. And that's the proper pronunciation. It's been obvious for a while now, but nobody can deny it today. The news comes just days after the network cut its ties with host Dan Bongino and 48 hours after the network ahum settled with so-called Dominion voting systems, sick, for nearly 800 million fiat bucks. I guess crime does pay. And that would be in your host's opinion, of course. And arguably, anybody that's paying attention would share a similar opinion. Said a statement from the Fox Ministry of Truth. Ahem. Fox News, sick media, and Tucker Carlson have agreed to part ways. They thanked him for his service as a host and prior to that as a contributor. <laughs> what have you done for us lately? Notice, folks, they never did air the rest of that video from the J6 False Flag Circus. That Tucker was given exclusive access to. Isn't all of this such an amazing coincidence? And according to the statement, Tucker's last show is in the past. It was Friday, April 21st, as he continued to dominate news ratings. But now his slot will be filled by an interim sycophant, helmed by rotating Fox News personalities, unless they actually have a real personality or are able to tell the truth, in which case you already know what's going to happen to them. And uh, a new host is named. Hey, you know what? Lion Don Lemon seems to have been fired from CNN. I bet he's available, and at least the regime will be happy. Zero Hedge, of course, always notes the financial aspects of what's going on. Shares of 21st Century Fox drop like a rock on the news. Now they're sitting at January lows. And interestingly, the Fox A market cap is now about the same as the settlement from that lawfare debacle with Dominion Voting Systems. Here's a bit of a follow-on from that blockbuster story, or, well, it should have been, that came out late last week, about the fact that the lying intel community has been caught lying again. Remember those 50 so-called intelligence community officials? Most of them we already knew were scumbags. Now any remaining doubt has been removed. And if you don't, since it's so important, I'll recap it here in just a minute. But meanwhile, a piece from Matt Taibbi, the actual investigative journalist with a long history of being pretty well aligned with the left, but also a long history of journalistic integrity. And along those lines, increasingly of late, he has come out more and more and said, hey, you know, there is such a thing as truth. He's been trying to uncover it for his whole career, and now it seems like he's willing to go to the mat to do so. A news blackout, he noted, seems to be in effect when it comes to that story about Mike Morell and Anthony Blinken. He starts off with a graphic comparing the search results on the story for the word Morell in both the New York Times and Gulag, or Google, so-called news. And after said recap, he notes that the letter, which is in fact no longer easy to find, will show you three snippets of dialogue from the questioning of Morell, who appears to have organized that open letter. And here you got to remember that infamous letter was signed by 50 spies claiming that the Hunter Biden laptop scandal was, say it with me, Russia, Russia, Russian disinformation. Why? Because they all wanted Joe to win the presidential election. Or they knew it was going to be rigged and they wanted to make sure that after he allegedly won it, they could keep lying about it. And while it stank to high heaven, at least it wouldn't be quite so obvious. A retired CIA leader coordinated that letter from so-called former intelligence chiefs claiming that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation, said the Daily 
the mail on Friday because he wanted to help Joe Biden's presidential campaign. Mike Morrell was the scumbag who told the House Judiciary Committee that he was, in fact, asked by none other than Anthony Blinken, the now Secretary of State, then senior member of the Biden campaign, to help discredit laptop reporting. This courtesy of the House Judiciary Committee, led by Jim Jordan, which is currently investigating Hunter Biden's laptop, as well as a whole bunch of other corruption, crime, criminality, and, uh, yeah, finagling. Morell recently conducted a transcribed interview with Jordan's team and was asked about the Biden campaign response to the laptop from hell. And apparently he agreed to help them deep-six it, because, really, weren't they all on the same team anyway? And here comes one of the things that really resonated with Matt Taibbi, the fact that the idea originated in a call from Blinken. And absent that, he might not have done what he did. He said he was asked by Blinken to rally former intelligence chiefs to agree that the laptop, regardless of what the truth was, looked like a Russian smear campaign. By the way, other signers included none other than the traitorous perjuring James Clapper, John Brennan, and Leon Panetta. But (laughs) are you even remotely surprised? The letter was ultimately signed by 51 former so-called intelligence officials, including not only the aforementioned, but a total of four directors of America's version of the NKVD. And just days after the New York Post revealed the contents of the laptop from hell, the letter was published by Politico under the headline, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo, say dozens of former officials, and then, of course, the rest of the waste stream lying media piled on. And after that, when they rigged the election, which everyone with half a brain now knows that had it been honest, in fact, actually re-elected President Trump by a landslide over the senile guy who basically never came out of his basement and could barely fill a broom closet with supporters, spaced widely apart, of course, much less a football stadium. Now, I haven't yet seen Taibbi admit that, although his skepticism is certainly increasing. But Zero Hedge does add this. Morell, who was at the time a former deputy director of the CIA, said he also coordinated with the Biden campaign itself on strategy over the letter's release. Who could have thought it? And here's one of the most disgusting things in the so-called intelligence letter, folks. When those deep state insiders finally released their public statement assaulting the New York Post story and infamously declared it had all the, quote, classic earmarks of a Russian disinformation operation, they declared their conviction that, I hope you're sitting down and haven't recently had breakfast, quote, American citizens should determine the outcome of elections, not foreign governments, unquote. And wouldn't it be cool if their votes actually counted? Because the truth is, it's the deep state that declares the outcome of American elections. They know it, and you're not supposed to. Which seems to be the real point of Taibbi's story. They're deep six in this one as best they can, too. And by any marker, he notes, this is an enormous news story. If we go by the usual measuring stick of American scandal, the Watergate story, this potentially meets or exceeds that in almost every level. Does it reach into the current White House? Check. Was it a craven attempt to subvert the electoral process? Double check. Did a presidential candidate engineer a massive public deception? Yes, resoundingly. Did it involve so-called intelligence agency? Yes, and these weren't amateurs like Nixon's plumbers. They were 50 of the most powerful people in the intelligence world, including five former heads or acting heads of the agency, and Morell, John Brennan, Leon Panetta, Michael Hayden, and John McLaughlin, conspiring to meddle in domestic politics on a grand scale. 
Now, here's where Taibi hits his stride. The seriousness, he writes, of the actual laptop story, at least what's been disclosed so far, is still not clear. I've long thought that the suppression of it by Two-Face Book and Twitter had clearer import, being a historic censorship first. However, if it can be proven that this Russia, Russia, Russia disinfo whopper was laid on the public at the behest of the Biden campaign, oh, and we'll come back to that, folks, in just a second here, with the aid of the so-called intelligence community, that, he writes, escalates things to a new level of scandal far above even the censorship issue. Temporarily, however, this may be obscured by the absolute corruption of the American media. Outside of conservative outlets, which naturally are eating this up, there were exactly two serious stories done about this on the national level in an appropriate response time. One was in CNN, and that was at least relatively down the middle, though fundamentally it did quote a Democrat Party spokesperson from the Weaponization Committee saying Jim Jordan has released cherry-picked excerpts of a transcribed interview. The same Democrats from the same committee also, he writes, called my testimony cherry-picked and also called the testimony of those FBI whistleblowers cherry-picked. They seem to love that word, especially when they've been caught red-handed and somebody actually comes right out and confesses. But I think, folks, the best way to put this in perspective with the hindsight of history and things that we now know were rigged all along is right from the senile horse's mouth. Or is it the other end? Not to mention the fact that while we smelled it years ago, we now know that the entire Russia, Russia, Russia thing was literally BS since shortly after the last almost but not quite rigged presidential election back in 2016. So here's a bit of history that now at least certainly ought to ring even more true than it did about six years ago. And if you don't remember this debate clip, you certainly should. Please respond, and then we're going to have follow-up. If this is true about Russia, Ukraine, China, other countries, Iraq, if this is true, then he's a corrupt politician. So don't give me the stuff about how you're this innocent baby. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody. President Trump, I want to stay on the issue of race. We're talking about the the issue. from hell. President Trump, we're talking about race right now, and I do want to stay on the issue of race. President Trump, you have to respond to that. Please. Very quick. There are 54. Former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the care for five former heads of the CIA. Both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly it. what. Is this that's where exactly you're going? This is told. where he's going. The laptop that, right. is Russia, yes. Russia, Russia. I want to stay on the issue of race. You okay? have to be kidding. Here Mr. we go President? again with Russia. And did you notice again the so-called moderator? I want to stay on the issue of race. I want to stay on anything except the fact that, whoa, this is going to eventually come back to bite us all if the truth ever comes out. Now it has, and they're still pushing the lie. From Remix News via Zero Hedge, another story that we're going to have to concentrate on a bit more over coming weeks for reasons that will increasingly become obvious as well. Germany's green energy delusion, says the headline, has an enormous economic and, yep, environmental price tag. Now, with the closure of Germany's last three nuclear power plants, the country's 60-year era of nuclear power generation has come to an end, and along with it, much of what's left of their prosperity. As if the Biden Fuhrer hadn't pretty well blown that one out of the water already, pun intended. The move was originally planned for the end of last year. However, due to uncertainty 
And isn't that a cute way to put it? Over energy supplies, in the wake of the World War III front opening up between Russia, 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 and Ukraine, and of course the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines, the coalition government extended the deadline until the weather warmed up a bit. For a long time, nuclear energy, it says, has been one of the most divisive areas of energy policy in the EU supplies. They certainly have all kinds of economic problems, which are only being made worse by literal hyperinflation in energy costs. But the radical green parties of Europe have worked hard, it says, to convince many people that these plants should be closed anyway. You know the old saying, shoot yourself in the foot and then reload. Reality, though, has shown that this ideology-driven energy policy comes with a heavy price. It's not by chance that energy policy expert Oliver Horte recently recalled an estimate by a Berkeley University researcher, how's that for irony, that the social cost of German nuclear plant closures had already reached at least 12 billion bucks a year. And even though the percentage of people who now oppose nuclear power generation has fallen from almost two-thirds to only one in five, I guess the prospect of freezing to death will do things like that. It seems the will of the electorate, and who's surprised at this, doesn't matter a bit. Yeah, we can rig the elections anyway. The huge expansion of solar and wind capacity in Germany is no guarantee of security. In fact, folks, since they don't generally produce enough energy over their lifetimes to really even break even when you include all the factors, they're long-term clock-winding-down losers, which ultimately only put off the inevitable. The country is now increasingly having to turn to coal instead of Russian gas. On average, 30,000 tons of coal are transported daily now by trains from North Sea ports to large power stations across Germany. And imports increased by 8% to 44 million tons annually. And the Greens went after gas boilers too, it says. They're going to be banned in German homes after next year, 2024. And the article concludes by noting that while an ideology-driven energy policy, idiotic, your host notes as it might be, is certainly very expensive and it has harmful consequences, the uh, real issue is what's going to happen in the future when it could end up with more people freezing in their homes come next winter and the one after and the one after. And guess what? It's all part of their plan. I mentioned the truth coming out like water from a fire hose. And with that in mind, I'm going to talk about something that I think has been obvious for multiple years. I mean, after all, if you really believe in science, there's a little thing you can buy at Walmart or just about anywhere online for less than 20 bucks called a pulse oximeter that will show you your blood oxygen content. That's actual science, as opposed to the crap being spewed from the great god of science by his high priest Fauci. There are also, as it turns out, other things, finally, and almost, you would argue, way too late, that show what science was supposed to have done, could have done, in fact, years ago. But uh, I guess you can't blame them. They were suppressed. They wouldn't have been printed anyway. Wait a minute. No, I still do blame them. Whores are whores, folks. And if they're not willing to stand up and tell the truth just because they're getting a few bucks on the side or worried about losing their medical license while killing their patients, I'm not a big fan, and I'm certainly not sympathetic. This comes from Robert W. Malone, M.D., one of the big whistleblowers in the medical community. He wasn't one of the very first, but he's certainly been shouting the alarm about the COVID not vaccines and some of the other idiocy being done in the name of, well, let's just be honest here, genocide for quite some time. The CDC and the FDA know best, says one of his recent emails, in which he compiled a number of new papers that he said are out about face masks and worth reading. The substack entry highlights these papers, he notes, followed by summaries and conclusions. And here, folks, are just a few of those highlights. The first one says, 
possible toxicity of chronic carbon dioxide exposure associated with face mask use, particularly in pregnant women, children, and adolescents. It comes from Helion 2023, April 9th, and the abstract says, during the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, they spelled it wrong, face masks have become one of the most important ubiquitous factors affecting human breathing. It increases the resistance and dead space volume, leading to a rebreathing of CO2. Now, so far, folks, I would say, duh. That should have been obvious to any actual physician long before they got their bribes. So far, says the paper, this hasn't been evaluated in depth, but as part of their scoping review, they looked at all the literature regarding CO2 exposure and the use of face masks. Results? Fresh air has about 0.04% CO2. While wearing a mask, more than five minutes not only increases the level, but can increase it to the point where it bears a possible chronic exposure to carbon dioxide of between 1.41% to 3.2% of the exhaled air. Now, folks, that's a rise of between 35 and 80 times in the amount of CO2 that a face diaper wearer rebreathes. Although the buildup says the piece is usually within the short-term exposure limits, long-term exceedances and consequences had better be considered. U.S. Navy toxicity experts said the exposure limits for submarines carrying a female crew to 0.8% carbon dioxide based on animal studies. One of the effects would be the increased risks of stillbirths. And guess what? We've already seen that, and that, of course, is part of the goal, isn't it? And note that wearing a face mask increases the amount of rebreathed carbon dioxide in just five minutes to between two and four times that limit. Additionally, it says mammals who were chronically exposed to 0.3% carbon dioxide in the experimental data, and that's only about one-fifth of what a mask wearer gets, demonstrate, quote, irreversible neuron damage in their offspring, reduced spatial learning caused by brainstem neuron apoptosis, and reduced circulating levels of the insulin-like growth factor number one. With a significant impact on these three readout parameters, morphological, functional, and marker, this chronic 0.3% CO2 exposure can be defined as being toxic. And again, your average mask wearer in less than five minutes gets to several times that number. Oh yeah, there's also data, says the piece, indicating testicular toxicity in adolescents. And if you've been paying attention, folks and looking and seeing what these people are up to, it's pretty hard to deny. Here's yet another way that they're mutilating adolescent genitalia, and uh, you could even say they're probably patting themselves on the back and saying, mission accomplished. Here's another one from Public Health, April 5, 2023. Physiometabolic and clinical consequences of wearing face masks. A systematic review with meta-analysis and comprehensive evaluation. Their results say we found significant effects in both. Now listen to this. This isn't just the cloth masks, which really everybody knows. Don't stop viruses anyway. These are medical, surgical, and N95 masks with a greater impact in the form of the second, it said including decreased specific pressure of O2, that would be oxygen, that's important for people who want to breathe and stay alive and have brain function, all kinds of other things like heart rate, systolic blood pressure, you name it. Their conclusion, masks interfered with O2 uptake. Gee, we could and did tell you that years ago. And CO2 release, and they compromised respiratory compensation, resulting in something that they call MIES, or mask-induced exhaustion syndrome as well as downstream physiometabolic dysfunctions. MIES can have long-term clinical consequences, especially for vulnerable groups, you know, the kind that they want to force to wear the masks the most, like kitties during their early developmental growth stages. 
And this is interesting. The story notes that several mask-related symptoms may have been misinterpreted as long COVID-19 symptoms. In any case, the idea of possible MIES contrasts with the WHO definition of uh, health. Oh, yeah, and the last thing from that study, face mask recommendations in schools did not impact COVID-19 incidents among 10 to 12-year-olds in Finland. They did a joint regression analysis to demonstrate that. Here's one called Physical Interventions to Interrupt or Reduce the Spread of Respiratory Viruses. That was, and this is from the Cochrane Reviews, considered the gold standard of meta-analyses. They note that pooled results of RCTs did not show a clear reduction in respiratory viral infection with the use of not just cloth, but medical surgical masks. There were no clear differences between the use of medical surgical masks compared with N95P2 respirators and healthcare workers. Hmm. But, as Dr. Malone notes, let's contrast that with the Center for Death and Control. What are their still current recommendations for the gullible? In other words, those that believe them? This, he said, he accessed to confirm on April 26th of this year. Key messages, it says in big letters, masking is a critical public health tool for preventing spread of COVID-19. Maybe what they really mean is it's a critical tool for preventing the access of brain cells. And listen to this whopper. It's important to remember they opined that any mask is better than no mask. Well, that's certainly true if your goal is to kill people. To protect yourself and others from COVID-19, booga, 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 CDC continues to recommend that you wear the most protective mask you can that fits well. Und you will wear consistently because we do not want to see your ugly face and we do not want you to breathe. Folks, this stuff ought to infuriate you. I know it does me, and that should be obvious. This has been going on for years. The data was always conclusive. All they had to do was get out measuring devices and measure CO2 with and without masks in a group of people. Some of us actually did it. You can certainly do it with oxygen via the pulse oximeters. Finally, the last part of the Center for Death and Control's key messages says, Masks and respirators are effective at reducing transmission of SARS-CoV-2, which is a bald-faced, unbelievable, demonstrable lie. Yes, says Dr. Malone, can you believe it? These are, quote, their current recommendations. The time, he says, is past for the CDC to come clean and admit that they were wrong about face masks. Well, here, folks, I part company just a bit. They weren't just wrong. They were dead wrong. They were satanically wrong. They knew it. They still know it. And they're not about to admit it, much less change the recommendations, because the goal remains unchanged as well. But he does get this right. This is systemic child abuse by the U.S. government, he says, to continue to advocate that children wear masks. We have hard data that masks are ineffective at stopping the spread of COVID-19 and other respiratory diseases. We have hard data that the adverse effects from mask wearing are significant, and some of those may be permanent. We have hard data that mask mandates on children in schools did nothing to stop the spread of COVID-19. And we also have hard data, folks, that what it did do was Stunt children, intellectually and socially, as well as physically. And that seems to make this story a good way to wrap up the first segment. It comes from MustReadAlaska.com, written by the governor's speechwriter there, Suzanne Downing. And the headline says, Biden to parents, your children aren't your children, they belong to the government. 
Referring to the marionette in chief, she said, in April 2022, the Biden Fuhrer told parents that they don't have authority over their own children. In a speech last year at the Teacher of the Year celebration, he said, quote, they're all our children. And the reason you're the teachers of the year is because you recognize that they're not somebody else's children. They're like yours when they come into the classroom, unquote. Today, though, Biden stayed on message, she added, quote, there's no such thing as someone else's child, no such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. He needed to put in a little sneer there, folks, other than just read the teleprompter. This as Biden, uh, they say, honored the 2023 teacher of the year in the Rose Garden there at the White Whorehouse. The words, though, said the author, stung conservatives who've witnessed the government take control of their children by increments. In Washington state, lawmakers just passed a bill that would allow shelters and the government to essentially kidnap children from their parents if those parents don't approve of gender transition and genital mutilation. The story says procedures here, but in the best tradition of Joseph Mengele, I think we should say experiments. Alaska's Nick Begich wasn't impressed by the words of the Biden Fuhrer. The former congressional candidate said on two Facebook, quote, Today, Joe Biden said the quiet part out loud. There's no such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. Let's be clear, said Begich. Children are the responsibility of parents. Children are not property of the state. And while that's true, folks, it's not what the waste stream and their communist Chinese party masters are pushing. We'll be right back. This is Mark Call, and welcome back to the second segment of the show for this evening. And kind of in keeping with the theme of a week where the truth is coming out, the lies are being revealed, but oh my, the deep state and those who despise the God of the Bible are doubling down and then doubling down again. I want to start this segment off with a couple of stories that basically make the same point. The first one comes from the Federal Death Agency, or I'm sorry, the FDA, which has once again changed the definition of a vaccine. Once upon a time, it was something that was injected into the body to cause an immune response that would then help, but not guarantee, prevention and or transmission of that same or very, very closely related uh, infection in the future. Well, they got rid of that a long time ago, as you're no doubt aware, because if you're going to inject people with an mRNA gene therapy to change their DNA, but it has nothing to do with what was once defined as a vaccine, well, we got some splaining to do or some changes to make in the language itself. If you want to then go on to change people's bodies. Most recently, and with a hat tip to David Knight for emphasizing this, the FDA has again changed the definition. Now they've removed the part about how it has anything to do with preventing infection or transmission of whatever it is that you're supposedly being quote-unquote vaccinated for. And I guess I could point out here that if it destroys your immune system, well, it's not going to really prevent anything. 
But no doubt about it, everybody who's been paying any attention at all knows that whatever this thing is that's being injected into gullible people, it has nothing to do with preventing infection, much less transmission. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of data that says little spike protein factories, which is what the mRNA reprograms people's bodies to become, are actually shedding something that causes far more harm than the original COVID-19 virus ever did. So they changed it again, pretty much got rid of all that language that says something that everybody knows isn't true. And about all that's left is a statement to this effect. The things traditionally known as drugs, whatever that now means too, were intended to prevent an illness. And I guess that works, at least as far as the lie is concerned. Whether those traditional things actually worked or not, And isn't it interesting, folks, that the only time you hear the deep state talk about tradition is when they're intent on destroying it anyway? But I introduce this today because I want to focus on this latest definition change. David Knight's right. He's among many of us who point out that when the words no longer mean anything, they can pretty well get away with everything. And consider this as well. If vaccines don't actually prevent infection, nor do they prevent transmission, well, then why would you want to put one of these things in your body and be a guinea pig besides? Answer, because traditionally vaccines are intended to prevent an illness. Let me ask this question. Wouldn't injecting yourself with arsenic or strychnine serve the same purpose? After all, if you're dead, that too prevents an illness. Now, I realize that sounds a bit over the top, but consider just about everything we've been talking about for the last couple of years is no less over the top than what they have actually been doing and accomplishing, and yeah, getting away with. Here next is an obviously related story. This comes from a number of sources, but originally it was a puff piece in the New York Times about, well, attempting to absolve, I guess we should put it, the most evil man, arguably to draw breath on planet Earth in who knows how many centuries. America's version of Dr. Mengele, the great god science himself, or at least its high priest, Tony Fauci. And I think Eric Bain's coverage for Reason.com is a good introduction to what they were trying to get away with here. If you're looking, it begins for someone to blame for the infamous 15 days to slow the spread that turned into more than a year of shuttered schools, closed businesses, and fraying social connections, not to mention the biggest economic act of destruction in American, perhaps world history, outside of World War, but hey, it ain't over yet. And certainly, as we're now seeing, at least part one of the biggest act of genocide in human history. Well, says Tony Fauci, don't look at him. Quote, show me a school that I shut down and show me a factory that I shut down, said Fauci, former White House coronavirus czar, now retired public health official who still, folks, hasn't been put into an orange jumpsuit or tried for mass murder, much less treason. But he became the face of both the Trump and Biden regime's handling of the pandemic. And now he's done a lengthy sit-down with none other than the New York Times. Quote, never, I never did, unquote. Says Reason, the interviews framed by the Times as an inside look at Fauci as he, get this folks, wrestles with the hard lessons of the pandemic. Yeah, they spelled it wrong. And the decisions that will define his legacy. The decision that so far has defined his legacy is failure to indict. But when it comes time to answer the tough questions about who was actually at fault for America's botched response, uh, some of us would say it goes far, far beyond that, to the COVID-19 pandemic, 
the doctor, sick, is happy to pass the buck. The blame is spread around not only to the CDC, which your host has suggested for a long time stands for Center for Death and Control, but some make a good case that it also causes death to children. And there are, of course, other so-called public health apparatchiks for which Fauci became a convenient and willing personification, but also the politicians who followed the public health recommendations without, says reason, any consideration of the costs involved. Your host will note, nor did they consider the ethics, the morality, much less the law of what they did. But, notes the piece, here's the most interesting and illuminating part of the exchange. And again, we're quoting the evil American Dr. Mengele. Quote, I gave a public health recommendation that echoed the CDC's recommendation. And maybe by now, folks, you can imagine some of the connections involved there. Back to the quote, and people made a decision based on that, said Fauci. I'm not an economist. Hell, folks, he's not even a legitimate doctor. The ones that I respect used to have an oath that when something like first do no harm, as opposed to just develop bioweapons secretly with American enemies and then see how many people you can get to inject before the death tolls make it clear what you've been up to. I'm not an economist. The Centers for um, Disease Control, Sick und Prevention is not an economic organization. The Surgeon General is not an economist. So we looked at it from a purely public health standpoint. Full stop. And I'm not going to argue with that. It's just that the intent wasn't to save people, folks. As we can see now in hindsight, they did a damned good job of exactly the opposite. And if you doubt that, read RFK Jr.'s book and look and see what this same guy did with first HIV and later remdesivir. Oh, yeah. And while you're at it, don't forget that there is no constitutional authority whatsoever for any of these so-called federal public health agencies to even exist, much less override the Bill of Rights and every other part of the rule of law that they don't like. Back to Fauci, it was for other people to make broader assessments, people whose positions include but aren't exclusively about public health. These people have to make the decisions about the balance between the potential negative consequences of something versus the benefits of something. And uh, unquote, let me suggest the benefits are you get to keep your job, you may even get funding. But the consequences are, well, you already know, don't you? Here's a bit more that comes from the New York Post summary of the uh, Times Puff piece. I started to read part of this. Show me a school, said Fauci Stein, that I shut down. And show me a factory that I shut down. Never. I never did, he told the New York Times, when questioned about the heavy-handed policies that he recommended throughout the pandemic. And again, he's right. He never did, personally. But I suspect Adolf Hitler could well have said something like, Show me a ghetto that I shut down, and show me a Jew that I killed. Never. I never did. I guess he never really invaded Poland either, folks. He just made suggestions that people who knew what was good for them figured they'd better go along with or else. Quote, I gave a public health recommendation that echoed the CDC's recommendation, and people made a decision based on that. But I never criticized the people who had to make the decisions one way or the other, unquote. But they're really criticizing science, because I represent science. That's dangerous. To me, that's more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. Oh, really? Attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. But no, he never ordered the concentration camp, or the lockdowns, the injections, the masks. He just made recommendations, or as another godfather once put it. Once you're the rest well, in a month from now, this Hollywood Big Shot's going to give you what you want. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. 
says reason. In a certain way, Fauci is correct about all this, and uh, I'm not going to argue that point. I think maybe you already understand why. He never called for the closure of specific schools, nor did he stand at the podium in the White House briefing room and announce which businesses were essential and could stay open and which must close. Those acute decisions were made by other people, by uh, governors acting under color of law, but mostly by local elected officials also, though, acting under color of law, and school boards. And they were made, in the case of schools specifically, by teachers' unions who uh, put their hand on the scales. Moreover, Fauci didn't have the legitimate authority to make those decisions. The emergency powers, which are utterly unconstitutional besides, you may recall, invoke to require masks in public to close schools, require proof of the Zyklon B injection, and so on, didn't grant the White House's top coronavirus so-called expert any special authority. Again, it was governors and local officials who, along with so-called public health officials, made those determinations. Damn their oaths and damn the law. It wasn't Fauci who kept playgrounds in California closed even after bars and restaurants had reopened. It was the so-called California Department of Public Health. It wasn't Fauci who arrested beachgoers for violating socialist distance mandates. It was local police enforcing local ordinances. And remember, folks, und saver just following orders. Does any of this sound familiar? Reason reminds us of something the New York Times isn't about to. From the start, they note, Fauci pushed for the Trump regime to tell states to lock down. Quote, no bars, no restaurants, no nothing, only essential services. When you get a place like New York or Washington or California, you have got to ratchet it up. Unquote, he said to Science Magazine in an interview mid-March 2020. America's Dr. Mengele also pushed back against evidence that lockdowns were causing major unintended, though totally predictable, problems. A group of epidemiologists and other public health experts, I guess these were the real ones, folks, in October 2020, signed what's called the Great Barrington Declaration, which called for a focus on protecting the vulnerable and letting everyone else actually resume normal life. And you know what Fauci did to that if you've seen the Twitter files. Soon after it was published, Fauci denounced the document as publicly even, quote, nonsense and very dangerous, unquote. And let's not forget, we've also seen how he manipulated the science when it came to destroying alternatives like hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Some of us can tell you firsthand how intentional and deadly those consequences were. Oh, yeah, and some of us would say lied. This piece says he obfuscated about the lab leak origins for COVID, and he criticized anyone who dared to believe such a thing. Quote, they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous, he said in November 2021, after several senators pushed for an investigation of the Wuhan lab right near where the first known COVID so-called outbreak occurred. Fast forward more than a year and a half, the lab leak theory has gone from supposed misinformation, you know, a conspiracy theory, to being endorsed by every agency that's found they just can't keep up the lie forever, and they had to back down, like the FBI and the Federal Department of Energy. And oh yeah, concludes reason, we shouldn't forget the fact that despite everything, the pointless school closures, the livelihood-destroying mandates that shuttered bars and restaurants, oh yeah, corporate churches too, they did that right off the top and kept those on their string shut down longer. And all the rest, America still suffered nearly 1.1 million excess deaths over the past three years, a total that exceeds the alleged 1 million deaths, the figure that Fauci offered as a worst-case scenario in March 2020. And guess what, folks? The real point here is that something is still very, very wrong. 
And for some insight into that reason, let's continue to the story that I almost started off with today, but figured instead we'd better work up to. This comes from Zero Hedge about a YouTuber who was found guilty, Achtung, for selling thin metal cards. That America's Gestapo und Zerbas, the DOJ says, are machine gun conversion devices. And remember, folks, what they say is law, because we don't have any other kind anymore. A Wisconsin gun dealer, it begins, whose YouTube channel has 180,000 subscribers, was convicted of, get this, conspiring to transfer unregistered machine gun conversion devices that turned out to be nothing more than metal bottle openers etched with patterns called lightning links that, when you move them, could convert a semi-automatic AR-15 rifle, booga, 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 one of those black guns that Big Brother doesn't want you to have anyway, into an automatic machine gun. And even though all of those things, according to the Second Amendment, shall not be infringed, eh, we've come a long way, baby, from anything resembling a Bill of Rights anymore. Gun dealer Matthew Hoover, it says, who operated the CRS Firearms Channel, was found guilty of conspiring to transfer unregistered machine gun conversion devices that they refer to as auto key cards, said the Department of Just Us in a press release, touting their victory over what's left of the rule of law. He was convicted on four counts of transferring these so-called unregistered machine gun conversion devices, literally a credit card-sized piece of metal, and now faces 45 years in the gulag. Also facing severe jail time, they're making an example of more than one person here, is Christopher Justin Boyer Irvin, whom the DOJ said was convicted of seven counts of transferring these so-called unregistered machine gun conversion devices. Isn't it interesting, folks? The crime here is not just that something is what they define as a machine gun, and that's a movable target for sure, but that it's unregistered, and you slaves had better register or else. He was found guilty, too, of three counts of possessing unregistered machine gun conversion devices, and one count of structuring cash transactions to avoid currency transaction reporting requirements. Now, remember, folks, that doesn't apply to the Biden fear or those in the official first crime family, but it certainly does apply to peons. You use cash, you're going to suffer the consequences. Irvin faces a maximum penalty of 110 years in the federal gulag, and sentencing for these two once-free Americans is scheduled for July 31st. In one video on his now verboten YouTube channel, Hoover said that, quote, auto key cards are awesome because they're stupid cheap. You could drop it in your rifle, or if you know you're actually going to do this legally, this is just a bottle opener. What this is, he said, is a novelty. So if someone sees it, they're like, hey, what's this? You explain to them that because laws are now so ridiculous and so out of control, if I were to cut on these lines, I would become a felon. How ridiculous is that, he said. It's just a conversation starter, unquote. Well, it's more than that now, folks. And it's not only a conversation ender, it can be a life ender if they want to kill you for it. Well, it looks like the DOJ has redefined the law. They started by redefining what shall not be infringed means, remember. Later, they changed and added definitions of things like firearms and, of course, machine guns, which you peons aren't allowed to have, regardless of what the Second Amendment says. Under Trump, they even changed the definition of that by adding little plastic parts and saying, Achtung, those two are verboten. A bump stock and anything else, we later say, is a machine gun. And now it's little metal pieces. The DOJ said it took ATF agents about 40 minutes to cut those little pieces out using a Dremel tool and convert once-free Americans into felons. The circus trial to complete the process took a bit longer. 
Last Thursday, defense attorneys for the men argued that the firearms so-called law doesn't cover their clients because it doesn't restrict items that could potentially be made into conversion devices. Now think about this for just a second here, folks. What are we talking about here? A credit card-sized piece of thin metal. Let that sink in for a second. If you knew where to draw the lines, and the pictures are in the court documents, oh yeah, and the news coverage too, you could put them on there yourself with a ballpoint pen and use that same Dremel tool. And that might take the wunderkind at the ATF another 10 minutes or so longer. Said Irvin's lawyer to the jury, as long as you don't cut it out, you haven't broken the law. Sick. Now, your host has to point out here, it really isn't a law, folks, if you understand what law is supposed to be, or at least used to be. You've just broken an ATF edict. Now, I quote this frequently, but hey, I quote the Second Amendment too. The general misconception is that any statute passed by legislators bearing the appearance of law constitutes the law of the land. Well, this isn't even passed by legislators. An unconstitutional statute, says Amger 16, section 177, though having the form and name of law is in reality no law, but is wholly void and ineffective for any purpose. It confers no right, creates no office, bestows no power or authority on anyone, affords no protection, and justifies no acts performed under it, unquote. But that doesn't mean that the Gestapo can't throw you in the gulag and then throw away the key anyway, as we've now seen. This is what happens when the rule of law can be changed on a whim and certainly isn't worth the parchment it was once printed on. This, though, folks, is particularly telling, and it basically is the reason why I've done this entire sequence leading up to this line today. Executive Assistant U.S. Attorney Laura Kofer-Taylor told the jurors, and you know what? This isn't even a real trial by jury, folks, because I guarantee you these jurors were voir dired, and anybody with half a brain wasn't allowed to sit on that panel. Before they began their so-called deliberations, here's what she said, quote, Where is the line? That's really a question you all have to face, unquote. Well, here's the real point. That line was crossed years ago. It used to say, shall not be infringed. And that was the brightest line the founders who wrote the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment could come up with. Now it says, we'll infringe it any way we blankety-blank and well want to. And we'll even change the meaning of words to infringe it some more. We'll call things firearms that were once just called the right to keep and bear arms. Notice the slight difference there? Aren't they clever? We'll change the definition of words. We did it with arms. Hey, we later did it with vaccines. Now we're doing it with men and women, boys and girls, too. We'll change anything we want to, and we'll use any of those things, if we feel like it, to kill you. And once we disarm you, you won't even be able to stop us. Aren't we clever? We'll tax, and then later we'll outlaw things that we'll define at our own whim. From sawed-off shotguns to machine guns to sound suppression devices. Achtung! You slaves can't have any of those things. And guess what? We're just working our way on up. On one and only one thing, this scumbag doing the dirty work of the Soviet totalitarian state was right. Where is the line? The author of the Declaration of Independence for these United States, Thomas Jefferson, also the third president, warned us over 200 years ago. And just listen to how prescient this truly was. Referring explicitly to the final, later the Tenth Amendment of the Bill of Rights, Jefferson, in a letter to President George Washington, said, quote, To take a single step beyond the boundaries thus specifically drawn around the powers of Congress is to take possession of a boundless field of power no longer susceptible to any definition, unquote. Especially, folks, if they take possession of the power to redefine the very words themselves. And here, I can't help but remember what Lewis Carroll warned about in Alice Through the Looking Glass. 
It was a line from Humpty Dumpty, who told Alice, a word means what I want it to mean, nothing more, nothing less. It's about who is to be master, that is all. And folks, that's about as bluntly as it can possibly be put. Now, before we run out of time today, and for a whole bunch of reasons that should be self-evident, I have got to play this clip, which has got to be one of the most idiotic things I've ever heard a so-called cabinet secretary spout forth. And believe me, we've seen a lot of idiocy of late, as if the U.S. military hadn't been almost gutted already. Do you support the military adopting that EV fleet by 2030? I do, and I think we can get there as well. And I do think that reducing our reliance on the volatility of globally traded fossil fuels, where we know that global events such as the war in Ukraine can jack up prices for people back home. Blithering idiot doesn't even come close. Yeah, let's reduce our dependence on fossil fuels by increasing our dependence on, say, communist Chile's lithium or maybe communist China's lithium supplies. The fact that planes won't fly as far or tanks won't drive as far is no big deal. Hey, we intend to lose these wars anyway. It it, uh, does not contribute to energy security. I think energy security is achieved when we have homegrown clean energy that is abundant, like you see in Iowa. (laughs) We think that we can uh, be a leader globally in how we have become energy independent. Yeah, right up there was what we did to Germany. They don't want you armed. Hell, they don't even want the U.S. military to be able to defend the country anymore. So I guess, yeah, it's obvious, you guessed it, they have redefined insanity now, too. I've literally still got a plethora of stories that we could wrap things up with today. For example, Tucker Carlson actually reappeared in his 8 p.m. time slot, but not on faux news, which, by the way, has suffered a catastrophic ratings crash. In the 8 p.m. time slot yesterday, says a piece from Zero Hedge, faux news lost nearly half of their total viewers and 70% of viewers compared to last Tuesday. They were number one. Now Fox so-called news isn't even in the top 50 in the slot. Tucker's podcast, which the story says was recorded from his home office, had over 56 million views already on Twitter when I saw it this morning. One of the things he said was, when you take some time off, you'll see, quote, How unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. And you're not going to hear about anything that's really important. And he went on to say that basically the good news is this situation cannot and will not persist forever. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe true things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. Well, on that last part, folks, I think he basically got it right, but he added an ask where he shouldn't have. In other words, close but no cigar. What Tucker should have said is, as long as you can hear the word, there's hope. Which means, at least for now, here, there still is hope.